Have you ever walked over a sidewalk in Portland and wondered what secrets might be lurking below? Well, today you don't have to question that anymore because I'm doing a deep dive into the Shanghai Tunnels, Portland's own underground maze. With a history so rich, it's going to give you the chills. Now, I've spent a little bit of time digging in some old documents as well as even listening to some first-hand accounts to bring you as much of the story as close as I possibly can. But let's stop talking about it. Let's be about it. Let's go. In the stillness of night and the quiet of our minds, we often find ourselves yearning for stories that both terrify and intrigue. Stories of otherworldly apparitions and unexplained phenomena. But have you ever stopped to wonder, where does it all begin? Welcome to Retraced Echoes. Welcome back to another episode of Retraced Echoes. As always, I'm your host. My name is Bert. We're back at it again. That intro that I had created creeps me out almost every single time. When I had it created, it was funny because he was trying to understand what kind of inspiration I was looking for. And I told him, like, if you was to go into like this dark haunted room, the scariest thing I think that I would hear would be like a music box or kids possibly laughing. And uh, he delivered. <laughs> he he created that intro. Freaks me out every single time. Hopefully, y'all having a dog on amazing one though. We're gonna be rocking it out today. We're gonna be looking at the Shanghai tunnels now. As you all know, with the format of my current podcast, what I do is I literally deep dive just the ghost stories for the first day that I record the podcast. So right now, you're listening to Bert that doesn't know anything other than just the ghost stories. Here at the Shanghai Tunnels, and there's a ton of them. So I record today just that portion. Tomorrow, I'm going to do a deep dive, and then I'm going to record that portion. And the things I'm going to be looking at is obviously the background of the property, first encounters. We're going to look at other ghost stories that I didn't include in the first segment. Theories behind the hauntings, the scientific investigations that had occurred there, personal accounts. And then, of course, I deep dive into even the skeptical point of views. So we're going to be looking at a little bit of everything. And hopefully you guys enjoy this format. As you know, we're going to jump right into the ghost stories because I think that's everyone's favorite part. Let's stop talking about it. Let's be about it. Let's go. Many locals are adamant about the existence of the Whispering Waiter, often considered one of the most tragic tales haunting the Shanghai Tunnels. According to consistent accounts, this entity is believed to be the spirit of a young man who was a waiter in one of the many bars connected to the underground labyrinth. Known for his compassion and his willingness to help others, his virtues led him to an irreversible fate. On one particularly stormy evening, the waiter heard what sounded like sobs and pleas of a distressed woman emanating from the tunnels. Concerned, he decided to venture into the dark maze after his shift ended, carrying nothing but a lantern to light his way. The further that he walked, the more the voice seemed to distort, shifting from pained cries to soft whispers. Each step that he took led him deeper into the winding tunnels away from any recognizable path back. Days ended up turning into weeks, 
and the waiter never returned to the surface. Search parties were sent, but no trace of him was ever found, leading many to believe he became one of the countless souls lost to the tunnel's grim history. Yet, even now, people claim to hear the hushed whispers when they walk through certain areas of the tunnels. The whispers often sound like warnings, urging the explorers to return back, as if the whispering waiter is trying to prevent others from suffering the same fate that he did. Those who have heard these whispers and heeded their advice often feel a sudden chill, as though someone just walked past them. It's as if the whispering waiter acknowledged their decision to turn back, providing a spectral nod of approval that reverberates in the dimly lit corridors of this infamous underground maze. One of the most sad stories to come out of the Shanghai Tunnels involves a young woman named Sarah. According to numerous accounts, Sarah was tragically separated from her family during a time when abductions in the tunnel were alarmingly common. Left alone in the subterranean network, her only source of light and comfort was a lone lantern she managed to keep alight. It is said that Sarah spent her days hiding and her nights wandering, the dim light of her lantern swinging back and forth as she searched tirelessly for an escape route that would lead her back to her family. Despite the overwhelming darkness and confusing complexity of the tunnel, she refused to give up hope, believing that the light from her lantern would one day guide her to her freedom. Years pass, but Sarah was never found. Yet multiple explorers who have ventured into the tunnels report seeing a mysterious flickering light often in the more confined and maze-like sections. These individuals speak of a feeling of intense sorrow that washes over them as they observe the light, almost as if they're intruding on a deeply personal quest. When brave souls have attempted to follow this flickering beacon, they find themselves led into increasingly narrow and winding parts of the tunnel, as though being guided by an invisible hand. Just when they think they're about to reach the source of the light, it vanishes, plunging them into unsettling darkness. Those who've experienced this phenomena can't shake off the feeling that they were just mere moments away from crossing paths with Sarah, still on her eternal quest to reunite with her family. The locals who know the story will advise against following the light suggesting that is Sarah's way of searching in solitude, or perhaps a ghostly signal warning intruders to keep their distance. Either way, the tale of Sarah's lantern serves as a haunting reminder of the human stories that are interwoven in the dark tales of the Shanghai Tunnel history. Maybe the most bone-chilling narrative to haunt the corridors of the Shanghai Tunnels is the account of the faceless man. Archives and local legends agree. A man was once discovered meandering in the catacombs, his facial expressions concealed by layers of bandages. When authorities or explorers tried to engage him, he responded with an unnerving silence, opting to keep whatever horror befell upon him a closely guarded secret. 
The unsettling aspects of this tale doesn't end with this mysterious figure's discovery. It extends into present-day accounts. Numerous urban explorers, many equipped with just flashlights and a sense of uncanny curiosity, have ventured into the tunnel's depths, only to report seeing a faceless individual standing ominously in the shadows. Unlike other spirits or entities said to haunt the tunnels, the faceless man just stands there. No movement, no speech. His stationary presence becomes the focal point of an almost perceivable field of dread, as if he gives off an aura that turns the already stagnant air even more oppressive. He just stands there, given an intense sense of fear, as though warning intruders of the unspeakable mysteries that the tunnels guard. Even more unnerving is his ability to disappear without a trace. Multiple accounts mention after locking eyes with a mysterious figure, or should we say where his eyes should be, explorers find themselves unable to maintain their gaze. When they summon the courage to look back, he has vanished, deepening the mysteries that surround him. Adding to the complexity is the persistence of these accounts. Unlike one-off sightings, stories of the faceless man have been consistent over the years, each new generation of explorers and locals adding to their own encounters in the growing dossier of testimonials. Whether a guardian of the tunnel's dark secrets or a tormented soul unable to find peace, the faceless man remains a horrifying consistent in the ever-evolving lure of the Shanghai Tunnels. Or what about the tale of the Lady in White? The Lady in White stands as one of the most endearing and haunting stories related to the mysterious Shanghai Tunnels. Over the years, various accounts have surfaced of a woman in a white dress seen wandering the murky depths below Portland. Descriptions of her are all eerily consistent a flowing white gown that seems out of place in the soot and grime of the tunnels, with obviously an air of detachment. People who have crossed her path narrate their experience with a sense of bewildering awe. Unlike other apparitions that are said to haunt these passages, the Lady in White seems to exist in a realm entirely her own. Witnesses recount that upon encountering her, she gives no indication of awareness or acknowledgement. She simply moves past them, her eyes empty and unseeing, as if entrapped in the eternal loop of sorrow or search. Adding to the lore is a tragic undertone that seems to accompany her presence. While no one can definitely identify her, or the circumstances leading to her endless wandering, the prevailing thought is that she met a tragic, untimely end within the confines of these tunnels. Some say she's a victim of kidnapping, perhaps even smuggled through the tunnels against her will. Others theorize she may have gone into the tunnels seeking refuge or escape only to lose her way in the darkness of the maze, 
never to return. Over the years, many have tried to follow her as she wanders through the tunnels, hoping to learn the purpose behind her constant wandering. Yet every attempt to track her ends the same way. She vanishes without a trace, often at a particular turn or junction, leaving the pursuer bewildered and chilled to the bone. The Lady in White serves as a reminder of the many souls who have suffered and been lost in these underground passageways. Her tale provokes both empathy and endless speculation, making her one of the most talked about and mysterious figures said to inhabit the mysterious maze that is the Shanghai Tunnels. Those ghost stories are right there. If that doesn't run some type of a cold chill up your back, I don't know what will or anything that I could bring you on this channel, but good night, some of the stuff that was in, that, in those ghost stories. So, obviously, I knew about the Shanghai Tunnels. I didn't know they were haunted like this. Most of the experiences I had no clue about. I would love to go explore them at this point. There's a part of me that says that, and there's an, another part of me that's, yeah, don't do that to yourself. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's a 50-50 battle in my head, but let's break down, as we always do, we did the ghost stories, it's mine, and I'm sure it's everyone else's favorite part, but now we get into the stage to where we break it all down. Obviously, I want to start with the location. It's right there in the good old Portland, Oregon. Where's my Portland people at? Come on now. I guess I should say, where's my Oregon people at? That would probably make more. It would definitely widen my demographic. Where's my Oregon people at? These tunnels was never created to actually be a nefarious or bad thing. They were supposed to actually streamline things because what would happen is you would have all these ships that would dock at Williamette River. And instead of actually running all their goods, so like coals and foods and whatever supplies those ships was bringing, to make it easier, because a lot of times the streets were super busy, they would have these underground tunnels to move stuff around. On top of that, it was also a little bit more discreet, right? It's like if you're bringing all that stuff up and people's watching you do it, you kind of know what's going on at those businesses. So <laughs> it's a win-win for the underground tunnel until it got its dark past. So the way that this would all work is these ships would come into the port and they would need manual labor. So there was a guy, he was called a crimp. He was like a middleman. And what he would do is basically facilitate the entire process. So he was paid a fee for each man that he could actually provide to these ships. And there was even a guy, he was like super notorious. He's like super famous. His name was Joseph Bunko Kelly. So he was notorious for this. And what would end up happening is the victims were oftentimes drugged. They would be tricked to go into these saloons. So these saloons would have trap doors. They were known as deadfalls. And what they would do is they would lure men into a lot of these hotels or like I say, the saloons, and they would offer them spiked drinks when they were unconscious. Occasionally, they would just straight knock them out. So you'd have this crimp would bring them in, they would get knocked out, pow! And then they would drop them into these deadfalls. And at the bottom of the deadfall, there was a mattress. So their goal was never to hurt anybody. They didn't want to hurt anybody. The, the price of a man that was unhurt was worth significantly more than a man that was hurt. I mean, if he was on a ship, you wouldn't want someone that was incapable of working 
they would be down in these tunnels and there was like cells down there where they would hold people. So a lot of times when they were looking for someone to kidnap, it was usually young men and in some cases, teenagers. They were preferred because they were the most capable of enduring the physical hardships, which came from working on a boat. So when I start deep diving into the who, what, when, where, and how, the first question I ask is how in the world was this even possible and how did word not get out? Now, there was legal loopholes and it doesn't take a rock science to figure out even at that point, it was illegal to kidnap someone and it was illegal to, to require them to serve on a boat and be sold, right? But enforcement, for whatever reason, they turned a blind eye, whether it be due to corruption or just general lawlessness. That is like the Wild West is probably the best explanation I can come up with. Now, the practice of kidnapping in this entire underground tunnel system, that started to decline when there was laws put in place like the Siemens Act of 1915, it made it way more difficult to exploit sailors and sea crew members. So that I don't screw this part up, I'm actually going to read it. I don't want to try to go just off my memory because I'm old and I forget things. But the Siemens Act of 1915 was a United States federal law that aimed to improve the working conditions and treatment of seamen, known as sailors and mariners, that's a weird, that's a weird word. Mariners? Swear to God, that's what it says. Working on American flagged vessels, the legislation was largely a response to public outcry over the harsh and often dangerous conditions faced by seamen, including such as Shanghaiing, which was a coercive recruitment of sailors, which was typically done by abduction or trickery. Also, Key provisions to the act. The act set limitations on the number of hours a seaman could be working. The law mandated the ships had to meet specific standards of safety, including lifeboats and other life-saving equipment. Also, under the law, seamen had the right to demand half of their earned wage while they were at sea as opposed to being paid only at the end of the voyage. I didn't even know that was a thing. That's crazy. This was a significant shift as withholding wages until the end of the voyage was practiced and used to keep sailors from deserting. Oh, I guess I could understand that part. I can totally understand that part, but man, think about it. If you was working on a shady ship, good luck getting your money. The act Established minimum standards for living conditions on ships such as the size of the living space, the quality of food and water. One of the most significant provisions was that the American seaman was left ashore in a foreign port. The ship owner was responsible for bringing him back to the United States. Wow, that's crazy. I didn't even think about that. They probably did just leave people out in the middle of nowhere. The act made it illegal to use corporal punishment against seamen. And it also provided seamen with the right to a dissent standard of treatment and the ability to file grievances against a ship owner. Easy for you to say. Say that three times real fast. The Seamen's Act of 1915 was a broad and lasting impact on the marine life labor practices significantly reducing the exploration abuse of semen. It made the occupation of being a sailor safe 
and less subjective to the whims and abuses of ship's owner and captain. Though it did not completely eliminate all problems in the maritime labor, it was a significant step towards a more humane and regulatory industry. That's crazy. Again, all this was going on, and then they created this act in 1915 to try to prevent some of that. And apparently, the other interesting thing is the way that all of this ended up coming about was just the general populace the town they were like hold on where did uh bill go <laughs> saw bill last week now bill's gone did bill save is going anywhere and you got to figure also in that area there was a lot of higher in society people when news started getting around that's when it was happening so there were stories of missing people illegal activities in general and just overall eerie occurrences the tunnel slowly entered the newspapers there was articles that was written and you know the news they're gonna bring it to you and probably the the raw and the gritty at least back then and that kind of is what put a i guess you could say a halt to a lot of that stuff it didn't put a halt to it but it definitely slowed it down but could you imagine there was probably people that was going to a lot of these saloons and be how would you know how would you know which ones are good and bad because it's not like it was probably i mean it probably was publicized like the news probably got out which ones to go to but dude i wouldn't even go there i'd be like nope don't need to go to saloon tonight don't need to go to the hotel tonight we're gonna be good now let's talk about the first sightings as far as when we look at paranormal stuff like that so a lot of the cases that i saw it actually happened not long after the siemens act of 1915 kicked in One of the most common sightings involved a lot of the male figures. They were obviously dressed in sailor outfits. Like, how bad would that suck? They was probably one of the ones that was freaking Shanghai'd in there. And then next thing you know, now they're dead in a freaking sailor's outfit. That's screwed up. But there's witness that claim to have seen the apparitions. They're walking through those tunnels. As soon as anyone would get close, obviously they would disappear. So it doesn't really shock me. Going back to the 1930s, there was a ton of reports of sounds of muffled voices, whispers, and even footsteps that was emanating from the tunnels, typically at nighttime. Shocker. And again, whenever anyone would get close to where that sound would be, poof, it would be gone just like that. Now, obviously, we talked about it in the ghost story section, but there's the woman in white. For anyone that doesn't know, we did a podcast the other day. We had a woman in black. So now we've got the complete polar opposite. Woman in black, woman in white. And a lot of these earlier accounts speak of this mysterious woman just walking in those that underground labyrinth. So it's weird because I didn't read too deep into this. I'm not really sure why there would be a lot of women ghosts or spirits that would be down there but there was a few which was definitely wild but this is a big one they typically see the woman in white she's got the big puffy gown and again as they follow her when they get close obviously she would disappear which it fits with everything there's also with some of these older accounts there's also the hearing of children laughing and even small footsteps and particularly near areas that was used to serve like makeshift living quarters. Again, a lot of times people go, is this because kids passed away in this? I don't think that's the case. I think a lot of times 
it's almost like these environments get stuck in somewhat of a memory loop and it just keeps coming back and forth. So that's what I'm going to go with. I don't want to think about little kids not being there anymore. So that's what we're going with. At least at this podcast, that's what we're going with. Now, even though we're talking about that, it's not just residual hauntings down there. We actually have two different types down there. I believe the woman in the white and the uh, children's laughter, we're going to we're going to say that's residual, but there is intelligent hauntings that occur down there also. And by that, what I mean is when paranormal investigators will go down there, a lot of times they say that they will receive answers or responses to questions which is an intelligent haunting that's very different. It means they acknowledge where they're at right now and they keep moving. But in addition to that, there was a few accounts in the mid 20th century speaking of objects moving kind of on their own, which that's poltergeist activity. We know that there could really be a lot of stuff going on down in that crazy set of tunnels. It's basically a maze. It's like a labyrinth. It's not even like, I don't even like calling them tunnels. Clearly they're tunnels, but It was a maze. You could literally go down there, walk down a hallway, make one or two turns and get completely lost. You'll never find your way back. Now, because of all these sightings, eventually it attracted a lot of paranormal investigators. I actually watched a few of them before I did this segment because I we talk about some of the skepticism. I wanted to see what they were bringing in. And maybe even in the description, I'll drop a couple of names of some paranormal investigators that I watch where I'm like, wow, that's crazy. But due to a lot of these stories and a lot of these shows and the YouTube attention is brought a lot of extra attention towards the paranormal aspect of all of this. Now, we jumped into a lot of the ghost stories. I didn't put them all in there because that segment would just go crazy long. There's all kinds of stories, especially at this location. We talked about the crying woman, which is known as the woman in white. We talked about the female that was walking around with a lantern in her hand which was super cool there was a story i didn't pull it put in it's super cool it's a story about a lost captain and what i like about this one is we talk about the sailors we don't hear a lot of cases of the captains but as the story goes there was a captain who was betrayed he was led to the tunnels and he was supposed to be shanghai so They say they hear his boots and it's louder and it makes a bigger echo than any of the other spirits is there. But the theory is he's angry and he's seeking revenge for those who wronged him. Now, there's another thing that they talk about, which is the shadow people. Now, I have a specific interest in this, and I think I'm going to end up doing a podcast here at some point about shadow people. But there's even tales of like humanoid shadows that they see. It's basically a thought process that they're either guardians of the tunnel or they're just bound to that area. They said that they only show themselves to those they deem worthy or to serve as a warning to those who shouldn't be in the tunnels. So again, that's more of an intelligent type of haunting, which is definitely interesting. There is a chained entity also. I really wanted to add this one to the story, but again, I can only add so many, but there's a report of clanking chains and the story that evolved was into almost a malicious entity and it's said that he's dragging his chains across the floor it's a very interesting story the first thing i thought of was uh scrooge ebenezer scrooge and how that one spirit came back and he had the clank so the first thing that crossed my mind this would be significantly more scary but now i know that the sounds of the dragging chains has become more of a staple in many of the haunted tour recounts so when they're talking about it because let's be honest that would just be scary but 
they're definitely selling the emphasis of this chained entity. So this is just a few of the ghost stories that we did cover and we're going to cover again. I'm going to come out with a blog that's going to break down some of these. What I like to do is after I create a podcast, next series of days, so there's six days in between each one I release every Wednesday, on Thursday through Tuesday, every day I release a specific entity that's haunting whatever location I'm covering. So you can definitely check that out over on our Facebook. I am doing a version of that also on Reddit. And obviously the blog. So hopefully y'all enjoyed that part. That part to me is really cool. I love knowing about the ghost stories. Now let's dig into the theories behind the hauntings. There's quite a few. Obviously we talked about the residual energy. And that's a huge more popular theory when you look at all of them. But what's said is that the tunnels are imprinted with the residual hauntings over the past events that occurred. We talked about them. This means that any of the emotional actions of the individual who experienced These intense circumstances, whether it be fear or betrayal or they died, um, has left some form of an imprint that replays like a loop, right? We keep talking about this loop theory, and that could explain why a lot of the hauntings are repetitive or almost non-interactive. And this is not unusual. We've seen this in the Thomas Whaley house in the Carton Mansion that we talked about last week. We also talked about it at the uh, plantation from, what was the name of that plantation? It's from two weeks ago. But all of them have this form of residual energy. I really want to do a lot more research on that part of it because that really intrigues me as far as what, because a lot of times they say it might be multidimensional. But again, I've not done a ton of research on that. Obviously, I understand it's there. We're going to dig into that, though, as time progresses, because I want to understand how that plays into a lot of these hauntings. Now, another big theory, which I'm not super surprised by, is unfinished business, right? We're talking about people that was wronged probably in their life. And what they say is that the spirits are lingering in the tunnels because of, well, I mean, in this case, let's it's not hard to understand. They were either Shanghai or they died in those tunnels and they're going to be seeking some form of justice or revenge or closures. And a lot of times they say that these spirits may engage more directly with the living, which obviously is, is evident. According to the accounts that we saw with the moving objects, apparitions, trying to communicate that kind of intelligent haunting or even poltergeist activity. That's not necessarily uncommon in a lot of these stories where there was some form of unfinished business. Now, another big one, and I guess I should have saw this, but the geological factors, a lot of experts in the field of paranormal, they study particular like geological elements, such as like quartz deposits and stuff like that. They say that there's even a unique magnetic field in some areas that could serve as a conduit into some sort of a spiritual realm or spiritual energy. And these natural phenomena may amplify the manifestations or like the supernatural activity that's occurring. And think about where we're at. We're in these tunnel systems. What's near the tunnel systems? Water. They also say that there's some quartz down in, into the ground there. So that's another theory that they talk about. Now, another segment that I'd like to do here is talk about some of the scientific investigation stuff, what the what they're using when they're trying to scientifically prove whether these paranormal activities is occurring. They're obviously using EMF meters, which I think we all know what that is. That's the electromagnetic field. They've got the thermal imaging camera 
And a lot of times when they're doing, especially the paranormal investigators I've watched on this case, they'll get cold spots and they're able to say, hey, this is a spot that was just X amount of temperature, right? And it dropped 10 degrees. Typically, there's not a good reasoning for that. Well, the skeptics will say that there is. And honestly, there really is. It's not that a skeptics are, are giving us a difficult time, but the other big one is audio recordings. There's a lot of EVPs down in these, these tunnels. And sometimes you can't understand what they're saying, which again, skeptics are like, that's not really, but it's something. You hear it and you go, that's human. So there's something to it. Now, a lot of times in the shows that I watched, they were doing a lot of controlled experiments. So a lot of times they would hear or they would see something. Then they would go try to walk over to that area and see if they could re-cause the sound that they heard or potentially recreate the image that they provided or the cold spots just to try to explain what could have happened or to a degree say this definitely wasn't an event it just looked that way but kudos to the investigators that did that it's one thing to get what I would consider some form of proof it's another to, to try to disprove it before you even prove it now we can't just talk about one side and not talk about the other right we got to look at the skeptical viewpoints now A lot of times skeptics, they'll frequently point out that despite the years of stories and the investigations, there's yet to be any kind of conclusive, scientifically verifiable evidence that says that there is such a paranormal activity that's happening in these tunnels. And part of it is they say there's psychological that hits us first, right? The human psychology can often explain experiences that they perceive as supernatural because they walk in with that assumption right off the get-go, right? If I told you that your car is haunted, 100% haunted, I've got proof that it's haunted. If you get in to that car, even if you don't necessarily believe, at some point something might occur where you go, maybe that is legit. In our case, A lot of times, if we're into the paranormal, we want to believe, right? We're the Molly of the X-Files. We want to believe. And that kind of happens. Now, I see this a lot on a Reddit that I look a lot at. There's a lot of pictures that will go in there. And it's honestly, a lot of times when I see those pictures, it is cases of pareidolia. And what that is, is When our human mind tries to create something from nothing. So there might be a picture of, I just saw one the other day in the Reddit. There was a table and some chairs and the person put in the description, what am I looking at? I'm looking at it. I see a table and chairs. And then I, much like myself, a lot of people's like, we don't, we don't see anything here. And The person drew a circle, so they put it down in the comments, a circle around what it was. It could look like a face if you turned it sideways, but it, it was clearly not. It was clearly not a ghost, but their case is that pareidolia. They think they see something. So I understand what skeptics are saying, but another thing, like we talked about the thermal imaging camera, right? A lot of times they'll say maybe there was a vent of cold air, right? We're talking about tunnels. It's it's going to be drafty. There's going to be some spots where some cold air is coming in. And I totally get that. But it's not going to be something that's going to come and go, typically. 
So it's not like it's there for a couple of seconds and it's never going to come back in that one spot. I think that if someone walks over and they try to disprove it, they're looking for any type of event. In my opinion, that's something. That's something. But again, I understand the skeptical point of view. Now, another thing that I read, and I was blown away by this, but some skeptics question if the stories of the Shanghai tunnels are even true. They suggest that the tales of the kidnapping, the forced labor, they're typically baseless, and they may have been exaggerated over time, which obviously turned this entire thing, in their opinion, into urban legend. That, to me, is crazy. There is proof. They found cells down in the the tunnels. It's hard to say this didn't exist when clearly it did. Was it exaggerated? I'm sure to some point it was probably exaggerated. That still, to me, is not credible enough to go. That's definitely not a thing. It's like when I was a kid and the story of Bigfoot. It was a lot bigger then than what it is now. Is it probably a case where it was exaggerated? Well, sure. That wouldn't surprise me at all. But that said, I'm not going to throw it out based on the fact that some of it could have been exaggerated. Every story is exaggerated. Just take me fishing sometime. You're going to hear all kinds of exaggerations. (laughs) I think we've got to bring up the commercial motivation. A lot of skeptics is going to see this and they're going to say, you know what? They're doing haunted tours. And it's going to question whether the stories of the supernatural are being used just for commercial gain. And listen, I get it. They argue that the ghost stories are a way to attract tourism and generate revenue. That's the case with any of these locations. So, again, just because it's possibly true doesn't mean that the stories are any less valid, right? If the stories are there, they exist, and someone can make money off of it, they're going to. That's the way that life works. So, that part doesn't necessarily surprise me, but I get what they're saying. I understand where the skeptics are coming from there. Now, one that I've not heard in any of the ghost stories up to this point is some skeptics like to talk about how being down in those tunnels is causing a low frequency sound wave, also known as like an infrasound. And it basically is a variation of the Earth's magnetic field, which affects us as humans. I can tell you firsthand, this happens in all of the Well, I'm going to say good. All the, in my personal opinion, great movies. Like a prime example, a lot of those movies will have a certain hertz range, which is 19 hertz. And it starts out very light at the beginning of the movie. And as the movie progresses, it gets louder. So when you're in a theater, even though you can't hear it, subconsciously, it's creating that fear. And they're saying the same things are happening down in these tunnels due to that magnetic shift or not a shift, but the earth's magnetic field. It's actually affecting our own human perception of that. So obviously, even though there's the skeptical viewpoints, I think it's vital because it provides that balanced understanding of the tunnels. And to a degree, they serve as a counterpoint to the ghost stories and the paranormal claims, which it's going to urge a more rigorous scientific examination, which we are able to do now. It's not like in the 60s and the 70s, where a lot of times they relied on just tape recorders or pictures that wasn't necessarily super reliable. So now we have some of that scientific equipment that we can use. It could be vital in trying to understand this paranormal realm. Well, everybody, we're kind of at the end of this segment now. Nobody go away. I've got a special little treat at the end that I've never done on any podcast up to this point. I think you're going to have a blast with it. A good little laugh at me will come 
to obviously to that at the end, but I want to thank everyone for stopping by. If you enjoyed this podcast and you've not hit that glorious follow, please give me a follow wherever you're listening at. And obviously, if you could please rate this podcast, you'd be a doggone superstar in my opinion. But here's what I want to do right off the get-go. I want to hear from you. Have you ever visited the Shanghai Tunnels? Perhaps you have your own theories or even skeptical points of views, and I want to hear from you. Remember, you can always reach me on social media, and if you want to, let's even uh, put a hashtag out there, Shanghai Tunnel Talks. Let's just see if anyone's came up with any theories or ideas. Maybe I'll start the first one off. Also, feel free to reach out to me at info at retraceechoes.com. I'll be able to be reached there also. And with all the plethoras of different ways, there's Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Reddit, you name it, I'm out there. You should be able to find me. Also, if you enjoyed this podcast, you're not going to want to miss out the podcast that I do with my friend Nick. We release a different case that we find interesting. This could be anything from the paranormal, like we're talking about now with the ghost stories. Could be UFOs. It could be the Mothman, Bigfoot, you name it. We've probably covered it. So you're going to want to check that out every Friday again. That's Deceptive Reality. And you can check us out there also at all of our different social medias. It's very similar to this podcast, a little bit different format. And there's two of us talking through every single case. Now, at the very end here, I thought you guys would have a little bit of a laugh. Obviously, I do the spoken words or the narration for the ghost stories. That's not always as easy as I make it sound here. So what I'm going to do is put a little blooper reel at the end. I thought you guys have a blast because sometimes some of these scripts that I have here are tongue twisters. So definitely enjoy that. Again, thanks everyone who stopped by. Y'all are doggone superstars. And remember... The Shanghai tunnels might be underground, but the stories they hold are far from buried. Keep digging, explorers. Who knows what truths you unearth? Until next time, keep your minds open and your flashlights on. Goodbye. For an escape route that would lead her back to her family. Why am I... <laughs> Why my voice crack like that, son of a... Or perhaps a ghostly warning... A ghostly signal warning. Son of a... Or perhaps a ghostly signal warning intruders. I don't know why I can't say that. Even more unnerving is his ability to disappear without a trace. Traced? Did I just say traced? I'm like... 95% sure I said traced. (sighs) Even more unnerving is his ability to disappear without a trace. Almost, almost did it again. I'm, I'm, baby. This should not be that complicated. Even more unnerving is his ability to disappear without a trace. 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 Can I just not say that word? If I do it super, if I do it fast, no problems. I do it slow, problems for days. Even more unnerving is his ability to disappear without a trace. That is such a simple sentence. Why can I? It's like the ninth time I've done this. The first four, someone's walking right above me. I swear, it's one of my kids. And they just... The, my kids must have the biggest footsteps known to man whenever I'm recording these segments. And I guarantee you can probably hear it in this recording, so I'm glad we got to redo that anyway. But that should not be a conflict. That I might have to change those words. I might have to change them. <laughs>